This is Keep It 100, a podcast from Spotswood Creative that is designed to keep it real and honest about worship practices in the 21st century. We want to help you work through those issues like choosing worship songs, leading as a volunteer, worship stereotypes, worship conflicts, and figuring out if the theology is right in that song you just love or if you should just put it away. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Keep It 100. This is episode 12, I think. That sounds about right. 11, I think, is dropping today around noon. So when you're hearing this, it has been, uh, it's been a minute uh, since we've actually recorded it. But uh, we today, uh, Tyler, this is your second episode, yeah, right? Man. Second episode. Uh, we today uh, are going to wrap up uh, worship War Two, Worship War Two, uh, established church worship versus emerging church worship, and today's going to be more of a conversation between Tyler and I, less of like, here's bullet point one, and this is why we think it. Here's bullet point two, and this is why we think that. It's going to be more of a conversation about um, about where we are as a capital C church culture, and how do we get out of this divisiveness of uh, different, different, like smaller church cultures attempting to dominate the other. Um, and the reason I think Tyler, this is so important. I know, I know we haven't like really talked a lot of like music X's and O's in this, in this worship war too. Mm. Um, as much as we did with the traditional versus contemporary stuff. Um, but I, I, I am thoroughly convinced that our worship practices affect our church cultures at large. Mm-hmm. And so the way that we behave and worship week to week and things that we say are necessities and things that we say aren't necessities, um, the way that we choose those things are going to affect our opinions and how we behave with each other within the culture uh, at our own churches and and the capital C church culture at large. So. I guess my my first question to you, Tyler, is where do you think we should start in terms of getting out of worship war two? How do we how do we extend the proverbial uh, olive branch, if you will, to the other side? So because we're at an established church here mm-hmm. in Spotswood, how do we begin? developing a relationship with emerging churches that are that are more hand in hand and less arm crossed that's the church on the other side of the on the other side of the room kind of thing sure um that's a really good question um well first of all i do want to say that i i personally do think it's important that we that we are able to um partner with other local church bodies 100 percent. now it does get tricky because you don't know what other churches believe but that does not mean that we should keep the different parts of the body separated at all times um i mean it's important that we have our local church bodies and doing their own thing but it's also important that we have the ability to come together um but yeah as far as you know how are we how do we move forward and this established versus emerging church worship. Um, you know, something that I learned early on coming here, um, and I learned this from you, was we need to be more focused on presence over preference. 
And so we need to, when we're, whenever we're planning our styles or our events, or, you know, we've got our traditions, we need to ask the question, why do we do this? Do we do this? Do we, do we practice this tradition for tradition's sake? Or do we do this because we think it accomplishes or facilitates X, Y, and Z, and that is the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit um, when we come together as the body. So I think it's important to ask that question. So and, preference over, or excuse me, presence over preference. Mm-hmm. Presence over preference. You. So what you're saying, Tyler, and I want to make sure I understand completely, is at some point we have to walk into our our individual rooms, our, our worship spaces, mm-hmm and be okay with God's presence first and foremost, however he presents himself mm-hmm. through the revelation of the Holy Spirit to us in a worship service. We have to be okay with that first mm. for us to even be remote. If we, if there's any chance for us to get past the way we do things at our, our own church and extend the olive branch, we have to first be okay with what we're doing in our own individual rooms. Yeah, 100%. I mean, so why why do we sing songs? Well, the Bible does clearly command it. The the word sing is used over 400 times in the Bible, and then I think at least 50 of those times are express commands to do so. So we sing because we're told to, um, we're commanded to do so, but also it is a really convenient way to express theology. Love it. Um, And if we think about it, music is a part of every single culture across the world. It may be different music, but every single culture across the entire globe has music embedded in it. So it's important, um, and and, and it's honestly, it's just convenient um, to be able to use music um, in that way. And it's an easy way to um, remember thoughts of theology. And it's also, you know, we we talk about the repetition in, in emerging church worship um, it's, it's repetition. You remember things with rhythms. And so that's, that's one of the main reasons we do music. But at the end of the day, let's say the whole sound system went down. We could worship without it. Yep. We could worship without music. 100%. Um, now do I talk, talk about preference? Do I prefer music? Yeah. I'm a guitar player. I really, I, I think for me, Worship is facilitated easier in my heart when it is put to music. However, we've got to understand that that's not where it stops. And Tyler, you know, um, Tyler's one of my, you know, he's one of my buddies here um, at Spotswood outside of him working in my in my ministries, my buddy. He knows that one of my least favorite statements in the whole world is, You've just got to understand. Yeah, let's it, kill that statement. It, I, I hate that statement, um, and and part of that's because I'm I'm younger. I'm not young anymore, but I'm younger, and um, and that's just something I wrestle with. But the truth of the matter is, just as Tyler just stated, we all collectively have to understand that it is not about us in all of this. Um, you know, several years ago, a guy named Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And I know that there's like a segment of the church population that's like semi-canceled him I was and like, all this Careful, kind of stuff. Josh. I know. And it, but for like two decades, we used the church, the capital C church. Uh, it seems like every Southern Baptist church in America was using his book as a, um, as a, 
as a guide to get everybody's frame of reference correct. And the very first line in the book is, it's not about you. Come on. And I remember opening that book. I think I was, I think I was a sophomore, uh, sophomore in high school. And, um, uh, we, we did a purpose driven life series at our church and every connect group, every life group, whatever you want to call it, Sunday school class, whatever you want to call it, all of them, we read this book collectively and they had like a kid's version of it and they had a student version of it. And they, we, mm-hmm. so we did it, but every single one of them started with, it's not about you. Mm. And, um, I remember as a kid reading that and being like, okay, so what's it about? If you ask the if you acknowledge the statement that it's just been said, it's not about you. It forces you to ask the question, then what's it about? For sure. And I feel like people today feel like a statement like it's not about you, forcing them to ask the question, then what's it about? They immediately get uncomfortable because we are conditioned in the American culture to make everything about ourselves. Yeah, consumer. I am. I okay. Me, no holds barred here for a second. I am. You know, people talk about the Enneagram, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a three. Okay, threes are notorious for um for you know being self promoters and you know being the center of attention and being the life of the party and being the center of the room. Um, I'm al- also an ENFJ um, on the Myers-Briggs, um, an extroverted, uh, intuitive, uh, I forget what the other, I know the last one's judgment or judgmental or whatever. Judging, yeah. Yeah. I, feeling. Yeah. So basically feeling, that's it, feeling and then judgmental. And the, I, I know for me as a person, I'm labeled as a protagonist. Which means, for me as a person, it is very easy to be the center of attention. Mm. And when I read a statement like, it's not about you, I immediately, naturally, tense up. Mm. I'm an only child makes it even worse. The person that's talking right now, I probably by society would be without anybody ever talking to me, would say that person probably has an innate ability to be incredibly selfish. And the truth of the matter is, is you're right. Mm. I do struggle with that. So when I read that line in Rick Warren's book, it's not about you, and I asked then what's it about? If it's not about me, there was a tone in it. There was a uh, defensiveness in it. Mm-hmm. Um almost borderlining on how dare you. When I was a kid, I don't think I quite wrapped my head around that I'm talking about the center of attention being the God of the universe. Mm. The universe is as we know it, and the universe past what we know it. Mm. He's God of things we can't see with a telescope. He's God of things we can't see with a microscope. He's God of it all. And if it's all about him, then that means it's not about me. It's the inverse of the original statement. I think as a culture, talking about in our rooms, like in our church our church rooms, our worship rooms and the people that are inside it, 
I think we are inundated with people that think, oh, well, duh, it's about God. But then there's all of these like clauses behind that. It's about God, but it's also about this, and it's also about this, and it's also about this, and it's also about this. And we forget that in temple worship, when people went to the temple originally, they went and nothing. the only thing that was about them was acknowledging their sin mm. when they went to temple worship. When they went to the high priest um, or they went to a priest and had to sacrifice these animals, it was not them walking in and saying, hey, does the bird that I'm sacrificing, is it the color that I want? The um, the cow that we're slaughtering, is it the one that I really want to lose? No, they, they say you got to bring your best. you got to bring mm. your best of all of it, mm. and that's what you give over to God. So, so to round all this out, I feel like as a culture, as a church culture, we went through a season with Rick Warren's book where we acknowledged it's not about us, and we kind of got unified. And then as we got further into the 21st century and things like social media became prevalent and things like uh, like mass media became more massive and more agenda-driven, mm-hmm. that we've, we have learned to re-cater things to ourselves and we think that everybody thinks just like us. Mm-hmm. And that means that there can only be one way of doing it, and it's my way. Mm-hmm. So for us to be able to move out of Worship War II, I think we got to make the main thing the main thing again. We got to go back and say, you know what? It's not about me. I've made it about me. Subconsciously even, I've made it about me. And I got to yank all the wires out and rewire. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I love love bringing up this uh, Francis Chan quote. I don't know if he technically came up with it, but I remember way back when he posted it on Facebook. And it was basically from someone's perspective saying, worship didn't do anything for me today. And his response was, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. Like, I love that. I come back to that year, even years later, because we do, and we, Josh and I struggle with this for sure as well. You know, every worship culture, whether it's, um, or church culture, whether it's established or emerging deals with this, what is worship or what is the service doing for me? What am I getting out of this Mm -hmm. now? I 110% believe that we are blessed by what um, the speaking pastor says or what the worship songs were. I I believe we get blessing from that. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I'm going to say at the end of the day a lot in this one, (laughs) at the end of the day, worship is for God. We are acknowledging God and his splendor and his glory and his goodness and his mercy and grace. We We are offering that worship to him. And it is for him. But again, we are, um, we get a subsidiary benefit from that as well. So it's not about us, but man, we're lucky we serve a God that we benefit from it as well. So uh, we, I, I did this Bible study three weeks ago, and some of the people that are listening to this is going to go right along with what you said. Some of the people that are listening to this are not going to, they may, oh, Josh, you've already said this. So I'm sorry <laughs> for people that are listening to this, but there are people that have not heard this. So let's let's go to the book of Ruth for a moment, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, several weeks back, Pastor Dakota um, at the Grace Retreat with the students uh, did uh, all of his sermons on the book of Ruth, and man, it really spoke to me in terms of worship, okay? Um, so I'm going to read a little bit, and then we're gonna we're gonna chat about it, okay? 
says, now there was a wealthy, this is, this is Ruth 2, verse 1. Now there's a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Man, first, pause for a second. Every man, you need to be a Boaz. You need to figure out a way to do it. You need to figure it out because Boaz had it figured out, man. <laughs> Everything. This guy has, has fields. He's, it seems as if he is, uh, well, it says he's wealthy and influential. Boaz had it going on, but Boaz was a good man. Okay, so now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth and Na- said to Naomi, "Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it." Naomi replied, "All right, my daughter, go ahead." So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. Now, one thing you you need to understand about this is. The harvesters, according to Levitical law, they were commanded to leave the edges of the field unharvested for travelers and the poor and and destitute that couldn't afford for themselves. That was one of the ways that they were a community. That's how they took care of each other. Even the people that, that could not take care of themselves, there was something for them left behind by, who, by people who were more well-off. Okay? They were commanded to do so. So what what Ruth is doing is she is going to a field that does not belong to her and taking from someone who, out of the kindness of their heart and the goodness of their heart because they're obeying the law, left something for her. Keep that in mind, okay? Um, So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the uh, relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters she has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. So we can kind of stop right here. There's a whole lot we can talk about in regard to worship and how this relates to worship. But let's just stop right there for a moment. I get this beautiful picture of worship in this discussion about Gleaning in the in in the ESV and sometimes in the NIV or the NASB it talks about gleaning and gleaning means what we talked about earlier about being able to go and get the extra that the harvester left over. Mm-hmm. We I think we need to look at our worship services as God is the harvester and we are the ones gleaning from His field. Yeah, and the field that He's the field that He is harvesting is our worship. The field that He's harvesting is our worship. This can also be viewed in a different way that the field he's harvesting is humanity. Mm. But for this purpose, let's look at that, that when we when we worship, okay, that field belongs to God. Mm-hmm. When we worship, we don't go to worship with expectation. It scares me to death when people are like, I want you to be expected about what God's gonna do for you in this service. That is prosperity gospel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um because the truth of the matter is, that's my statement. You yeah, said at the end of the day. At the end of the day, mine is the truth of the matter is, when you go to a worship service, your heart posture should be in such a way 
that you realize that what is given at a worship service totally belongs to God, the same way the field totally belongs to the harvester. Mm. And if you get anything from that service, if you get a thing from that service, it's because he's gratefully, or excuse me, not gratefully, he has uh, lovingly, that's the word I'm looking for, he has lovingly left something for you. Mm. He did that, not you, not somebody on the platform. Not your not your senior pastor, not your worship pastor, not your not your student pastors, not your education pastors, not your Sunday school teacher, not um not some worship leader that's leading a song. They didn't do anything for you. Although I do believe a good guitar solo will change someone's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> but the but the you understand what I'm saying. The truth of the matter is, is all those things are done for God. So if there's anything that you quote unquote get from a service, it's because God graciously and lovingly allowed you to have it. That's right. And we get in this mindset of like, okay, when I come to church, if I'm gonna be tithing to that place. I expect A, B, and C. That's why it scares me to death. Scares me to death when I hear, particularly emerging churches, mm-hmm. and uh, refer to their the people that tithe at their church as investors. Yeah, scares me to death because you're telling them it's just like the American culture. If you invest in something, you expect to return. Well, I mean, following that analogy, not not that I'm saying this necessarily but like if if we're gonna use that analogy it's flipped like yeah god's investing in us and he expects to return like as as worshipers and followers of him i'm not saying that's a perfect analogy i don't go too far down that rabbit hole <laughs> but like but he's king we're not well, he's and we're he, we're giving the thing first like it's not we give money or praise or whatever and we expect something back like we were already given everything we ever needed and uh, something my last pastor always said is if God, and, and this helped me get some hard times recently, um, if God never gave me a single thing for the rest of my life, he's already given me too much through Jesus. Amen. So we've, we've got to have that mindset. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the thing, Tyler, is, is for us to get out of worship war too, we've got to fix that mindset first, mm-hmm. that it's not about my expectations and my wants and my even your needs. It's not even about your needs. And I know that's a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Worship, regardless of whether it's an emerging church or an established church, is about God. It's mm-hmm. not about your wants, needs, preferences, opinions, none of it. It's it's not. Because if it were about that, then you would be king or queen. Yup. And the Bible says that you're not. Now, I say that, I know it's very heavy-handed, so if you're listening to this podcast, please hear my heart. I am not trying to be, I'm not trying to hurt you or hurt your feelings or upset you. I I've just I just see this consumerism, like, like countrywide, worldwide, just destroying our churches. Churches being torn apart because they expect to come in and have a coffee shop when they walk in the door because they're tithing to a place or churches being torn apart because they don't understand why uh why the the you know the welcome time isn't done a certain way or mm-hmm. churches being torn apart because it's labeled a contemporary service and we did a hymn all of these things are are worldly things that have crept into our worship theology. So for us to bridge the gap between emerging and established churches, we, in, in our separate buildings, need to get our lives together. 
we need to get our act together. Mm-hmm. And, and we all need to accept together this isn't about us. Mm-hmm. So that when we do what I think the next thing is going to be, if we've dealt with our selfishness within our own circles, dealing with our selfishness with each other is going to be a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. But if you've got all this baggage in your own building that you hadn't taken care of, you can forget trying to fix, <laughs> bridge, the, <laughs> bridge the gap between somebody that looks completely different than you. Yeah. Um, so I guess the next thing is, is once you get that together, and Tyler, I want you to weigh in on this. Once you get that together, you've got to start having conversations with leadership, like leadership, from from the two different types of churches mm-hmm. have to start having a conversation together. And that conversation can't just solely be about what y'all are opposed to. Yeah. It's gotta be about like, hey, my name's Josh Morton. I'm from South Carolina and I moved to Virginia because I feel like God called me to come up here and do something. Mm-hmm. And I'm obeying that call. How did you end up here? Yeah. And just have a conversation. It doesn't have to be arms crossed. I'm, you know, premeditating some sort of like response about why you're wrong and I'm right. Premeditation, you know, it although it is warranted and needed at times, I think it's used too much. We're th- we we like to when we have a conversation with somebody that's different than us, instead of talking to them, we we hear the first bite of what they say. And then we try to figure out a way to rip that apart without listening to everything else that they say. Mm -hmm. Now, that is not me saying that that's grounds for being okay with somebody explaining, you know, poor theology or somebody explaining why they, why they like think something in in the Bible isn't relevant or whatever. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not the road I'm going. That's a different road. Right now we have groups of people that can't even have a conversation with each other. Mm. Um, I, and I, I mentioned this, uh, I believe with when the last time Bailey was on the podcast, when I was at my large established church growing up, I remember there was a, there was a, a very large emerging church, massive. And at one point in time it was the largest Southern Baptist church in the entire country, maybe mm. even in the world. Mm. Um, and I remember despising them because they looked different than me. I could not have a conversation with any of them. When their pastor came and spoke at our chapel when I was in college, I rolled my eyes. I had a terrible attitude. Mm. Terrible attitude. I, In no way, shape, or form was that guy going to win with me. Mm. We've got to figure out how to remove that. Yeah. So, you know, I was, as you were talking about having conversations with people and not, and not just starting with... Um, what what you guys are opposed to or like where you guys differ um i was reminded of a song um this was released back in 2011 which crazy to think about was over 10 years ago at this point um but everybody knows casting crowns casting crowns is a song called jesus friend of sinners and one of their lyrics is um nobody knows what we're for only what we're against when we judge the wounded um and that that line is particularly um talking about how we show the the lost that you know, we don't tell them what we're for. We're just what we're for against. But we we translate it in the church world too. Um, we and I don't, man, I really don't know why this is. It's just I guess Satan's inner workings. We are really good and really natural at figuring out how we're different than people instead of instead of celebrating what we have in common. One million percent. Um, 
and that's that's a I don't know. That's a tough told. I, I probably was that person at one point. If we're going to be honest, so um, can I can I give us give an example sure. of that? So when I interviewed Tyler, when I interviewed Tyler, one of the things that he, the very first thing that I saw about him, I don't even know if you remember this. Hmm. I can't remember if it was a quarter zip or if it was a sweatshirt or whatever. But you had an Ohio State shirt on. Of some sort. Went in it, was probably, it was probably a quarter zip, yeah. And um, hopefully I wasn't wearing a sweatshirt in our Zoom interview. I can't, I can't remember. But it was probably a quarter zip, it was, yeah. it was COVID. Lots of things were forgiven in COVID. So um, <laughs> if it, no matter what, it was, it was Ohio State. Yeah. You know, the first the, one of the first conversations we had was about how, basically how I think the state of South Carolina has dominated Ohio State and, and everything, and I can't believe basically like poking fun at you. I can't believe you're an Ohio State fan. Yeah, I'm from Ohio, by the way. Why is that the bent? Why is that the first? Like, why couldn't I just be like, oh, he's a football fan? Yeah, I love college football. And he loves college football. And that's part of why Josh and I are such good friends. We've watched a couple of football games together. Yeah, like when 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 Ohio State played, I think they were playing Wisconsin. Wasn't that who we watched? Uh. Yeah, either Wisconsin or Indiana, one of the other red teams. Yeah, one of the other <laughs> red teams. Um, I pulled for Ohio State. Now, the whole time was I yanking his chain about how, you know, Ohio State hadn't beat South Carolina ever. Yes. Yes. But yes. but he was yanking my chain about how, you know, South Carolina is just a pitiful team. You know, like, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. We're terrible right now. Yeah, that's when they had Lou. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the the point being is, like, that conversation about me not liking Ohio State could have waited until way later in our relationship. It didn't have to be the icebreaker. And and I know that's kind of a very loose thing. We're talking about worship in one side and then the other side we're talking about college football. Who cares, right? Yeah. Like but the but the point of the matter is, is our nature is to go to the the negative thing the rub the difficult thing mm -hmm. why can't we just look at the person that's different and just love them first yeah why is it that way tyler <laughs> i really don't know i mean I, i'm just as guilty sin sometimes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the fall um well i'll, I'll say I'll, I'll say this to just to backtrack for a second you know i was really gracious gracious with josh uh, making fun of ohio state because everybody who, who's not an ohio state fan hates ohio state so, right so i'm just used to it well I don't, I don't know man i mean you know i think i think satan just does a really good job of being like if people aren't like me then then either something's wrong with me or something's wrong with them i mean i remember uh again less of a worship thing but i remember in college being like I had friends who said they were Christian. I don't really know how deep they are in their walk with the Lord, but like I couldn't understand how I was listening to like hard rock Christian music and like, this is really good stuff, but they were like, no, I don't like that. And then they're listening to like, you know, the CDs that have like exp the explicit sticker on them yeah. uh, for, yeah, for yeah. their workout music. And I was like, why can't we meet in the middle? <laughs> like, right. And so I remember like really just really struggling over the fact that people didn't like the same music as me. Like something, right. some, something is, I say trivial, even though I just talked about how every culture music's embedded in it. Right. Um, but man, I think it's just one of Satan's ways of just planting lies in there that like, if people aren't like you or you aren't like other people, um, there's something wrong there. So, so do you agree with me that these kinds of conversations, healthy conversations 
need to start being have had on the on the leadership level first. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, people that your church has designated these are our leaders, and they need to begin having conversations. Yeah, um, I, I think the next piece of this, and this is probably the toughest thing. It, this was the toughest thing for me when um, I was talking about the situation with the you know the the large established church mm-hmm. that I went to, mm-hmm. and then this massive mega emerging church appears out of nowhere, right? Um, I was a lay leader at that point. Like I was, I was not a, a paid, you know, church leader. I was, I was, I was just influential. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the kind influence I've learned in a church is, is something that can make or break the body. Mm. There are people that are not paid that are more influential than people that are paid. Yeah. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. One has been called by the church to guide the church. Mm-hmm. The other is called to like specifically serve, just serve in the church. Almost kind of like what the Bible would, de- would describe as a deacon, right? Sure. And And what's happening is people that are very vocally influential are saying things that they really don't know a whole lot about, but they've heard other people say them. So they just assume that they're true. If it came from mm-hmm. this person, it has to be true. Well, have you actually talked to somebody? Like, so with my situation, I was just bitter towards this church, New Spring, back home. I'm not anymore. I've got friends that work there, love that love that place, love those mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um. But I remember a point in time where I was just bitter, and I, I didn't even know why I was bitter. I was just was because they were New Spring, and I wasn't. Bitter for bitterness' sake. Yeah, I was just bitter for business, bitterness' sake, and I wanted, with every ounce of my being, for them to just be bad at what they were yeah, doing. Fail, yeah, yeah. I wanted them to fail, and mm-hmm. and it was a it was a thing where that bitterness was deep seated in me, and and if I talked to anybody about it, that bitterness came right out, mm. came right out. Yep, yep, I can't believe they're doing that. Can you believe that that guy wore that shirt or that guy said this or he, you know, that they, they did this song on Sunday morning or they said this? And um, and, and the other thing is, like, assuming that every emerging church is this prosperity gospel preaching, mm. you know, church that's like, oh, you, you know, that th- this is kind of like one of the pervasive things that kind of goes around uh, around the the capital C church community is like, oh, you know, oh, it's a, it's that kind of church. It's that big box church. I bet, I bet this is what people say. I bet that that guy has prayed for a Mercedes before or something like that. Mm. Or that guy's prayed for a bigger house. Private jet. Yeah. That, that y'all, that, that is unhealthy, mm-hmm. unhealthy, unhealthy, unhealthy. So on the lay leader level and on the like, you know, church member level, you know, we got to be careful to not say stuff like that mm-hmm. just because it pops in our brain and we think it's going to push some sort of agenda that that rallies our troops a little bit more. That, that's that's scary. Yeah, I mean, we got to check our thoughts, too. Like, what does it say about us if we're making assumptions before we have that healthy conversation with the person? Absolutely. Now, with today's culture of social media and just, uh, you know, news travels really fast now, you might you might hear things that are, um, uh, I guess the, the evidence is substantial for certain things and, and, and you can weigh your opinions based on that to an extent. Yep. 
But, you know, going back to having these healthy conversations, um, you know, the Bible is very clear. We're not supposed to judge. You know, we, we, we're allowed to judge people's actions like this is morally right or wrong because a lot, most of that is black and white. But as far as that person's intentions, their heart motives, we can't say anything about that, especially if we don't know the person, especially yes. if we don't know them. Especially, yeah, especially if you don't know that leader. Mm -hmm. Like, I've never in my life had a conversation with either pastor at the church I just mentioned, New Spring. Never. Um, I'd never had a conversation with the guy that came before both of them. I think there may be more than one. Now, mm -hmm. I can't remember. I don't keep up with them that much, which is, uh, in my opinion, evidence of moving past all that. I'm not keeping up with them. Mm -hmm. What they're doing... They they need they they can deal with it. I've yeah. got I've got bigger fish to fry, you know. <laughs> um, but um, if you haven't had a conversation, you probably shouldn't post. Like if you haven't had a conversation with the person you're posting about, or with the person that you're talking about, you probably shouldn't say it. You probably shouldn't post it. Um. Like there's there's some stuff that's come out about about a pretty predominant established church pastor just recently um uh on the west coast pretty predominant mm -hmm. some stuff's come out about him i've never had a conversation with that guy before i've never had a conversation with the people that have accused him of doing whatever he's done i need to be really careful to go plant some hot take on social media mm -hmm. even more so if you are on a lay leadership level and you have a lot of influence within a church, you definitely need to be careful. Yeah. There is this hero complex hmm. right now where we think that because Christ gave us the victory, that means that we are now the victor. Hmm. We are the hero. No. No, 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 no. Not even a little. Christ is the victor. Victory in Jesus. Mm -hmm. There is no victory without Jesus. So Jesus is the hero. The gospel speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that we need to sit on our hands and not seek out justice and all that, all that stuff. All, I'm not saying you shouldn't do all those things. What I'm saying is is just because a thought popped in your mind about that established worship uh, that that established church pastor or that um that emerging church pastor just because and you may be completely correct doesn't mean you have to say it. Mm. You don't have to. You're choosing to. Especially with social once social media gets involved. So so Tyler just to kind of recap, first we need to fix we need to fix our own rooms within our own churches. Yep, make the main thing the main thing. Keep again. the main thing the main thing. We got to fix that. It's not about us. Worship is greater than me. Mm -hmm. You're going to hear that theme soon, okay? <laughs> Worship is greater than me. Worship is greater than my preferences. Worship's greater than my failures. Worship's greater than our history. Worship is greater than all of these things. Mm -hmm. But you got to all collectively as a body get that correct. Then, once you get that correct, in my opinion, then, then it's safe to start having conversations with people that you think you might disagree with. Mm -hmm. Then it's safe. But even then, you got to be careful. Yeah, I mean, 
again, we talk about uh, splitting over the things that we differ on. Can we just have conversations where with people that we all agree that the gospel is the main thing? If we can all agree on the gospel, I think that opens up a whole door, a, a, a very wide door of who we can, of who we can work with, um, ecumenically. Yep. I, I, you're, but you're right. You got to be careful. But if we can agree on the gospel, we have a good foundation to start off of. You can start. I. I'm not saying do away with denominations. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying do away with independence. I'm not saying do away with anything. I'm saying let's not make a difficult situation more difficult. Mm-hmm. Let's not intentionally cause more division in hopes that our camp is going to pat us on the back. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I think the two things are to get us out. I think that's what we that's what we got to do. That's what we have to to put in the forefront of our mind. We got to get our circles right and actually get them right. Leaders, we got a shepherd. Like we got a shepherd. Yep. Uh lay leaders, we have to be careful what comes out of our mouth and we got to care for each other well. And then once we correct that, then once again, carefully we have to care for the person across the aisle and we need to just have gentle conversations with them and try to figure out what we're both for as opposed to what we're both against. Mm -hmm. Now, moving on, okay? The next worship war, okay? Worship war three, we're going to have three perspectives. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, not just two, three perspectives. So we'll talk about those next week. I'm not going to tell you what it is, or I say next week, in two weeks. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll find out at the next episode what those three things are. Now, yay, nay, or pray? Yay, nay, or pray. Yes. All right. Uh, so I'm, I'm picking a hymn this time. Okay, picking a hymn this time. Um, and this is a hymn that's been in my life for almost my entire, that, that I can remember all my life. Um, it's number 601 in the 2008 Southern Baptist Hymnal. And it is, drum roll, I'll Fly Away. Okay, I'll fly away. Now, before anyone uh, jumps on a, well, this should be a yay, or this should be a nay, or this should be a pray, before you decide where you are, take a breath and realize that what the, the answer that we give, we are not claiming to be some like ultimate authority on, on what songs your church should do and should not do. This, these are things that we... These are thoughts that we have, not that necessarily others have. I have been at churches where I'll fly away is something we do on a weekly basis. Seriously, like weekly. Oh, yeah. Like it's like a, I should say weekly, like bi weekly basis where it's done regularly. That's still a lot. Yeah. Um, I've been at churches that want nothing to do with I'll fly away. Hmm. Um, And I've been at churches where it's kind of like, oh, we do it once a year kind of thing. So, for that reason, okay, for that reason, I think this song is a pray. I don't think it's a yay. I don't think it's a nay. I think it's congregational one, you know, each week or each week, each church should figure out if it works for them or not. Hmm. So let's read some lyrics. You ready? Do it. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. And then it just says, I'll fly away, oh glory, over and over and over again. When the shadows of this life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars has flown, I'll fly away. It does the chorus again. 
Then the third verse, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joys shall never end. I'll fly away. This song was written, it was copy. I should say it's copyrighted. It was copyrighted in 1932. Uh, the words are by Albert E. Brumley, and the music's by Albert E. Brumley. Okay? Now, the reason, one of the main reasons I say that this is a prey, um, there, I don't think there's anything like incredibly theologically incorrect in this song. Mm-hmm. I think this song works for certain generations of people. I do include my generation because there's great versions of this out there that people in my generation wrote. Um, but there are some there are some themes in there that for a lost person may be a little confusing. Mm. Okay. Number one, I'll fly away. Okay. Lost person may have heard of a rapture before. So are they think is this song talking about that we're all just going to, you know, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to fly away one day. Well, there's a bunch of different thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get into all that because that is a uh, that is a that's a four podcast. Yeah, <laughs> topic. yes, and I don't want to get into all that. Um, and and truth be told, it's all going. Uh, I think as my dad calls himself a pan millennial pan millennialist because it'll all pan out. It'll all end. pan out in the end. That's what he says. So um, uh, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, but I'll fly away. So it asks you that. Um. Another thing, um, it may a- make them ask, okay, so when I die, am I? It, do y'all believe that I'm just gonna like literally fly to heaven, um, uh, to God's celestial shores, to a home on God's celestial shores? Um, that's an interesting, um, interesting lyric. I I had a worship pastor bring up to me one time is that it almost sounds like we believe God actually lives on a different planet. It's the Milky Way, baby. That's right. Um, because celestial stuff refers to like the stars and the galaxies mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, but it's also kind of a, a mythical term as well. So it's just it, it's a it can be a little confusing for a non-believer. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Tyler? Um, so Josh and I discussed this a little bit before we recorded, just because I was curious about his thoughts. Um, the, the, I don't know. I've never had this thought before, but as I was reading through it this morning. I thought of the story of Elijah going up in the chariot of fire. Yeah. That's what it makes me think of. It just flies off into the distance. Um, I agree. It's, it's one of those songs I was saying earlier, it's one of those songs that deserves an explanation. Yes. Um, it's kind of like reckless love. Like people get caught up over the lyrics and they go back and forth. So if you're going to do that song at your church, which is also a prey. If you're going to do that song at your church, you it deserves an ex- explanation so everybody's on the same understanding of what you mean when you sing it. Right. Um, and, yeah, uh, it does seem like the lyrics are a little um, negative, maybe. Uh, I'm, by that, I mean, like... The music's not. Have you ever heard the song? Uh, yeah, that's... Well, that's another thing. Well, I'll come back to music in a second. Um, but, like, uh, when the shadows of this life are gone. Okay, so Josh and I were talking about, like, not everything in life is bad. But, I mean, from this context, I do think it may be, may be from the perspective of when we get into heaven and we're in the presence of God and, and Jesus... Uh, you know, the Godhead three and one. Yep. Life on earth is going to seem like it's going to be paled in comparison. Yes. It's going to feel like a shadow, which we, is what it says. We were talking last week that, you know, life on earth is going to seem like suffering when we're in the arms of Jesus. Right. So, so 
I can kind of get that perspective. Musically, I think it's fun. I think you have to be at a certain type of church stylistically. Absolutely. For it, for it to make sense for your congregation. Yeah, it, it definitely, especially like once you pass in like the the, the movie Oh Brother Art Thou. Yeah. Okay. Um, it feels like it fits within that yeah. kind of feel. So it's like they call in in that movie, they call it old old timey. Right, old timey music. Not mm. like that's not me, meaning that it's old, like for old people only. But that that was the way they described it uh, in the South was old timey music. Today we would probably describe it more as like Southern gospel music. Yeah. Um, I do think that this song works. Uh, could work at Spotswood mm-hmm. at our church. I, mm-hmm. I think that um, our culture is one of uh, that. Even in in the contemporary service, if we did like a some kind of like arrangement of it that was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. that was kind of um, think um what's his name david crowder has a version of this song i, I believe i don't just, doubt it <laughs> that's just like really really cool and i think everybody would eat it up in our contemporary service and they'd have so much fun with it and they would worship to it yeah um which is the most important thing um i also think in our church uh, in the traditional service this song would be just fine it, i mean we could do it as is as it is in the hymnal and everybody would just love it and um so for us i would say at, at spotswood big time yay big yeah. time yay you yeah, can yeah. do that song but um, at some other churches may not work. Um, and then if you, you know, depending on your, your, your revelation theology, um, you may not, you know, you may not like this song. Um, and that's between you and God. I'm not, I'm not going and poking that bear. Okay. Yeah. But um, just know that it's, for us, it's a pray. We tell everybody to pray over that one. Mm-hmm. Great song. Pray over it. Yeah. Quick disclaimer um, as we're about to wrap up. This is one of those songs that I would make sure you pair well with songs of a different variety. What I mean by that is we've got to be careful not to assume that everybody knows the gospel. So we're talking about this. This is very like would not probably make sense to someone who's not a believer. Right. So it's important that our service, uh, whether it's the songs or the sermon, definitely make sure that we understand that not everybody in the room is a believer. Not everyone's going to heaven unless they have a relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. So, yeah. No, I love it. Well, as we as we end today's podcast, as, as we end this segment, just want to remind you, uh, check us out on uh, Instagram and Facebook at Spotswood Creative. Uh, you'll be able to keep up with all the stuff that we're doing there. Uh, you can get this podcast on pretty much all the major platforms that uh, exist out there, Google Podcast. Uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, it's all there. So uh, check it out on that on there, and um, give us a like on social media. Send us uh, some comments about things you'd like for us to talk about. We'll gladly take those. We've gotten a couple. I'd love to get more, um, so that as we come up with stuff for the fall to release, uh, we can do we can talk about some things that you guys want to talk about. But in the meantime, before we get there, uh, before we even get to their next episode, Tyler, keep it one hundred. <laughs>